Amen. You can be seated. Well, welcome again to Phoenix Bible Church. Uh, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. Really, uh, I'm the pastor here. We don't have a lot of pastors. We need to work on that. But uh, we, we are working on that as we plant a new church. We're a new church and a new series in the book of Philippians in a new year. So we're excited that you are here to join us in that process. And really, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, like if some of you are Christians and you've been Christians as far as you can remember, and you think, I have this joy that we've been talking about, but maybe there's times, maybe there's seasons, maybe there's one now that you feel like, I've lost that joy. I don't feel that joy like I did previously in my relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian at all, and you're searching for that joy, and you don't even realize you're searching for it, but that's, that's why you're here. That's why you came in today. And so wherever you are, this is a great book, a great study for us to dive into. And that's what I really want you to do. I want you to, to dive in. As we start a new church and kind of form uh, what we're going to be about, you need to know we're not going to do a lot of topical sermons. And not that those things are, are bad. We're just primarily, our normal rhythm is going to be going through books of the Bible. Because it causes us to deal with the whole of Scripture. Like we have to deal with the parts that make us uncomfortable as well as the parts that we love to quote and put on bumper stickers. We have to deal with all of it. And so we want to do that as we look at the book of Philippians. And a great way for you to participate in that is to read the book of Philippians, to do so in one sitting. Don't do it now. Uh, but later today, later this week, that you would sit down, it literally would take you 15 minutes to read it out loud. 15 minutes of your day to read through the book of Philippians. It would make this time so much more beneficial to you, as well as all of your life, as far as how God is trying to shape you through the truth that's in this book. Because there's a lot of truth for our lives. As we talk about joy beyond circumstances, loss, and all the different things in our lives, I want you to dive into this book. I want you to read it for yourself. We cannot cover it all in 30 to 40 minutes on a Sunday. And so I want you to dive in. I want you now to grab a Bible, if you haven't already, and head to the book of Philippians. We're going to start in chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one on the floor in front of you. If you can't uh, realize already, the Bible is a big deal. Uh, we want you to follow along in our time together. As you flip there, let me pray as we get into God's Word. Father in heaven, uh, we come before you this morning. Uh, we come before you broken and, in some cases, um, in some cases, broken, we may feel like beyond repair. And God, I pray that this morning, even now, that your spirit would change that. That you would take our brokenness, that you would heal that. That you would take our need and our weakness and you would give us strength. God, I pray for these men and women. I pray that they would see your word in a, in a new way, in a new light this morning. That it would stir up a passion in them. To not just be okay with attending a service and reading a few verses and hearing some funny jokes. But God, that we would press into your word, see what it has for us in all of our lives, in all of our relationships, with a desperate need. Because we need you, and we need you to move. And we ask that you do that now. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, what is the one thing in your life that if you lost it, it would crush your joy? What's that one thing that's at the top of the list that if you said, if I lost 
that, I'd be devastated. What is that for you? I know as I think about that in my life, I think about my kids. I think, what if something happened to my kids? I get nervous even thinking about it just now. Like, what? I don't know. They're in another building. Like, what if something happened? What if, what if something happened to my kids? I, I don't know how I would respond. Maybe for you, it's, it's similar. Maybe it is your, your kids. You think about that. Maybe it's another relationship. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a, a friend or a family member. And you think, if I, if I lost that, it would crush my joy. Maybe for others of you, it's your job. Maybe just if you're honest, in this moment, if you lost your job, it would at the very least cause pain and confusion in your life. If you lost your retirement, if you lost your house, if somebody just ran in here this morning and just said, hey, you lost your house, it's on fire, like it's gone, you probably wouldn't be too stoked about that. You probably would experience some pain associated with that loss. What are those things in your life that if you lost them, they would crush your joy? Some of you don't have to think in terms of what if. You know these things. These things have happened to you. Maybe for some of you recently, you lost in a relationship because of conflict. You lost in your relationship with your spouse because of conflict. You lost a friendship because of conflict that seemed beyond repair. And it robs you of your joy in your job. You lost your job, or you didn't get that promotion that you desired, or you didn't get that pay raise that you desired, or your boss is hanging over your head with performance reviews, and you feel like you can never measure up, and you're experiencing loss. You've experienced loss, and it robs you of your joy. In some cases, it crushes you of your joy. We've all experienced that at one time or another. We all think about that in the future. So what does it look like to have joy that goes beyond that loss? We're going to look at that together. Look with me at Philippians chapter 1. We'll start in verse 12. It says this, I want you to know, so Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of uh, and to all the rest of <laughs> and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ and most of the brothers having become confident in the lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear so verse 12 look at the verse stay in the verse with me verse 12 paul says that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so what has happened to Paul? Look back at the text, verse 13. We see that he's in prison. So how does being in prison advance the gospel? It's, it's right in the text. I want you to see it right from the text. There's two things. One, Paul's doing prison ministry. All right, they rob Paul of his profession, going out into all these different places, sharing the gospel, planting churches. They, they throw him into prison, and Paul says, great. I'll just do prison ministry. Like, you can't take that away from me. I'll, I'll continue to do what I'm doing. I'll just do it in prison. And most scholars think he was chained to a Roman guard. I mean, you just imagine that. He's chained to a Roman guard. He's in prison. And Paul thinks, I'm going to make the most of this opportunity. I have this guy with me all the time. Like, he can't get away. 
So I can give the four laws. I can tell the whole story of redemption. Whatever gospel presentation I want to give, this guy is my audience. And so Paul makes the most of that opportunity, and it advances the gospel. We see the whole imperial guard knows that he's in prison for Christ. Christ is being proclaimed despite the fact that he's in prison. And then we see other people not in prison have become more confident and bold to speak the word without fear. Now this is amazing, because you would think the opposite, wouldn't you? Like, just think about these times, okay? These are different times than, than what we experience now. Paul most likely led some of these others that he references to Christ. Paul most likely led some of these people to Christ to begin with. They began to follow him, participate in God's mission with him. He was their leader. He was the one they looked to. He gets thrown into prison. And yet, Paul says, they begin to speak with more boldness, more confidence, than they had prior. Isn't that amazing? Like, this is what I love about the Bible, and this is really what I love about God's mission. Like, as you begin to read this, and the words jump off the page, and you begin to imagine what actually took place, I mean, it's super exciting. Like, the Bible is not boring. That's why I want you to read it. I want you to read it and take notes and imagine and put yourself in these scenarios and go back to that context, to that place I promise you, it will not return void. And it doesn't in this passage. As we look at this passage, we can think about what would that have been like for all these other people to lose their leader? He gets thrown into prison, and yet they speak more boldly, more confidently than before. And I just imagine there's some, there's some people probably at somebody's house. They're like, hey, what, what are we going to do? Paul, our leader, he's in prison. I mean... Maybe this is illegal. Maybe we're going to get caught. Maybe we're going to get put in prison. And you got to think, some people were thinking, this is kind of scary. Like, this really wasn't what I signed up for. I, I don't want to go to prison. And some of them probably thought, maybe we should lay low. Like, maybe we should take some time to lay low because maybe this is illegal. Maybe we're wrong. You've got to think about this time. The word Christian did not exist. You didn't go around telling people you were a Christian. That did not exist. There weren't Christian authors. There weren't Christian concerts. There weren't bumper stickers. Like, this is all very new and very, very radical. And some of these people, probably as they gathered at a house or gathered together somewhere, probably said, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. Like, maybe we should just go back to our normal lives. And then you got to think some other people that were there with them said, no way. Like, are you kidding me? This is the salvation that's going to be brought to the world, to change the world. This is Jesus, the, the, the waited, the oncoming Messiah that we waited patiently for. For all these years, he finally came. He died for our sin. He resurrected. This is going to change history. We have to proclaim him. Paul's in prison? we got to make up for his slack. Like we got to get out there and, and take his spot. The government can't shut us down. Do you just see that? Like they're all in a room together, they're all gathered together, and some people are like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if we should be doing this. I think I'm just going to go back to my old life. And then other people are just like slapping them. 
like, get a hold of yourself, man. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We get to participate in this and proclaim it. We get to pick up where Paul left off. Let's go be bolder. Let's go do it more confidently than we ever have before. It inspired them to speak more boldly, more confidently. I just picture the movie Braveheart. I don't know why. Just that scene of where they're all lined up and uh, William Wallace has, has died. And you would think that would have caused everybody else to retreat. But no, they all gathered together and they began to chant, Wallace, Wallace, Wallace. And I can imagine these people beginning to chant, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul. And then some other people just slap them and just like, Jesus, Jesus. It's not about Paul, Jesus. Can you just picture this? This is the Bible. This is God's mission that we get to participate in today. Now, I'm not going to get thrown in prison. I hope not. But we experience loss of freedom in other ways. right? You experience loss of freedom in other ways. A lot of us do that in our jobs. right? They tried to take Paul's profession away. And he said, no, I'll just do prison ministry. That'll be my new profession. In your life, you may not go to prison, but your job may get taken away. Something that you feel like brings you identity, brings you freedom in life, may get taken from you. You may have literally lost your job recently. You may have literally not gotten the promotion that you thought you were going to get. You may feel like all my freedom that I had to be who I wanted to be, to become who I wanted to become, has been stripped away. Or at the very least, you think, my job doesn't bring fulfillment. My job doesn't bring joy. I feel restrained. I feel enslaved to this job. I don't feel freedom. And you feel loss. The other day I was talking to my daughter. She's five, and she's in kindergarten. And one of the projects they're doing is to dress up as someone that you want to be when you grow up. So not dress up like a mermaid. We had to tell her she couldn't do that because you literally can't become a mermaid. Devastating for a five-year-old. And, um, but we had to talk about, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, and she can dress up that way. So a, a teacher or a doctor or a scientist or a professional tennis player or whatever. Um, and we talked about that, and she was like, well, Daddy, what, if you were a kid, this is a fantastic question, if you were a kid, what would you want to be when you grew up? Like, if you could go back to kindergarten, it'd be amazing. And think about what you wanted to be and dress up that way. What would you do? And I think I said that I would be a professional athlete or a professional eater. <laughs> it was after a football game and I was hungry. Uh, so I, and then I was just like, well, what do you think I would be? Like, I don't know. I just kind of threw something out there. What do you think I should want to be if I was a kid, if I was in your shoes? And she said, well, I know this. I know you'd be a daddy. And I know you would talk about God. And I thought about that, and I was like, you know, that's, that's what I would do no matter what profession I had. That's what I hope I would do no matter what profession I had. Now, my profession happens to be this. I'm a pastor. So I proclaim God for a living. I lead people to empower you to proclaim God as well, to talk about God. But I would hope that whatever I wanted to be when I grew up, that whatever I envision my life now in my profession, 
that my purpose is greater than that. I'm a, I'm a father. I'm a husband. My purpose is to know Jesus and to make him known. And here's the thing. That's your purpose. Like, you don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a missionary. You don't have to write books of the Bible. Your purpose is to know God, to love God, to make him known while we're on this earth. Whatever your profession is, this is your purpose. And this is what enabled Paul to have a joy beyond a loss of freedom, beyond a loss of profession. Because he knows his ultimate purpose. He knows his greater purpose. He knows the main goal in his life. So how do you have joy beyond loss? Beyond loss of freedom? You have purpose over a profession. You know your ultimate goal in life is not to be a doctor. It's not to be a teacher. It's not to get good grades in college. It's not to get a degree. All those things are fantastic. It's not to get a paycheck. It's not to get the next raise. It's not to work more hours and move up the chain. That's not your ultimate purpose. All those things are good and how God has wired you and opportunities to fulfill your ultimate purpose, which is to know God, to love God, to connect with your creator, and to enable and empower others to do the same. That's your purpose. That's my purpose. And when you feel that purpose, when you know that purpose like Paul did, then you're unshaken. You take that away, I'll just do it in a different way. You put me in prison, I'll just, I'll just do prison ministry. It frees you up from that loss to experience joy. Because you know your purpose is greater than your profession. And then he keeps going. The second thing we see is this loss of unity. Loss of unity. Look at verse 15 with me. It says this, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So verse 15 tells us that there's these two groups of people doing one thing. What's that one thing? Look at the verse. What's the one thing that he's doing, that both groups are doing? Preaching Christ. And then he splits them up into two categories. Like, they're all preaching Christ. They're all doing this one thing, but there's two ways in which they're doing that. Look back at the text. You see these words, envy and rivalry. Like some, he refers to as some, do it out of envy, do it out of rivalry. Others, that's our second category. If you look at the scripture, they do it out of goodwill. They do it out of love. They do it for the defense of the gospel. But then there's some who do it out of envy, rivalry. There's some who are doing it to afflict Paul, verse 17. And then in verse 18, look at back at the verse. Look at your Bible. Paul poses this question what then? Essentially, he's saying, what does it matter? Like, what does it matter? Like, some do it for this reason. Some do it for this reason. Ultimately, the greater purpose is that Christ is being proclaimed. So if they have different motives, what does it matter? Now, did Paul get bothered by some of these people? I'm sure he did. Like, as Paul's in prison, chained to a Roman guard, I'm sure he struggled with this tension of, you know, some people... 
are doing this, and they're doing it with ill motives. Like some people, because I'm taken out of the picture, they're trying to take fame and, and reputation that they think I had. Some people are, are taking advantage of me while I'm in prison to preach Christ. So they're, they're believers in Jesus, but instead of partnering with Paul, supporting Paul, letting Paul know that they love him, that they miss him, that they'll just fill in for him while, they're gone, while he's gone, they do it out of envy, rivalry. There's others that do it out of goodwill. And Paul says, what's the difference? As long as the greater purpose is being fulfilled, what does it matter? I'm sure it, I'm sure it bothered him. I'm sure there were nights in the prison where he sat there, changed this Roman guard, and thought, I don't know, can I cut this off and just go talk to these guys? Can I escape and just rectify the situation, their ill motives, and can I teach them? Maybe they just don't know. Maybe they don't know. Or maybe some of them do know, and they're doing it intentionally. And have you ever felt like that? I mean, you know there's other people in your life who are doing things intentionally to wrong you, to hurt you, and maybe they're Christians, and it just bothers you. At the very least, it rubs you the wrong way, because you think, if you knew Jesus the way I knew Jesus, if, if we followed what Scripture said, like, you, you wouldn't have those motives. At the very least, I'm sure this rubbed Paul the wrong way. But ultimately, beyond the disunity, beyond the conflict, beyond the tension that he felt, he experienced joy. He says, I rejoice. Because whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. Now, how did he do this? How did he do it? Did he think positive thoughts? Did he read a self-help book in prison? Did he think about it at a different angle and like, well, it's probably just a misunderstanding. I mean, they, they, probably, they probably have good intentions. Um, maybe it was just the word on the street that I heard that was wrong. Maybe it was a telephone game. Maybe, maybe they didn't really have these ill motives. No. Paul addresses it directly. He says, some do it out of envy. Some do it out of rivalry. Verse 17 says, some do it to afflict Paul. He's already in prison. But he says, as long as Christ is being proclaimed, I experience joy. How does he do that? He realizes the ultimate purpose. He realizes the ultimate goal. We sing a song at church on Sundays, um, praise to the Lord. And at one point it talks about, let the amen sound from his people again. I love that part of that song. It kind of builds, the music builds as we sing that part of the song. BJ, I should have had you sing it today. That would have been beautiful. Um, I love that part of that song because the music is building, and we say, let the amen sound from his people again. Do you know what that means? It's this idea that let the agreement of God's people and his truth sound with very loud praises, declaring that truth, that we are in one accord. And not just that we agree on some flippant things, but that we agree, the amen, that we agree on the most important thing, and that's God's truth. And that we sing that in church. Isn't that amazing? Like we sing that, that phrase, let the amen sound from his people again. And you can look around you and see a lot of different people from you. You can look around you and see a lot of people came in here with different motives. Like some are trying to, to build a reputation. Some are trying to make a name for themselves. 
Some of them don't really know why they're here. Everybody has different motives. You have different motives why you're here today. You're different people from one another. And yet we can sing, let the amen sound from his people again. Let us all agree, despite our differences, despite our disunity at times, despite our preferences, let us agree in God's truth together as a people. Let's declare that together. It's a powerful, powerful thing. You see, when we understand our greater purpose, our preferences are diminished. Our preferences that we might like people to do things a different way. Our preferences that we might like people to have different motives. Like Paul would have preferred different motives from these people. But at the end of the day, if we're on the same team, if Jesus is being proclaimed, we can say, let the amen sound from his people again. Let's be unified over a greater purpose because Christ is being proclaimed. So how do you have joy beyond loss of unity? How do you have joy in your life when there's a relationship right now? Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your friendship. Maybe it's someone in this room right now that you have conflict with, that you at the very least in your head, you don't like the way in which they do things. You don't like their motives. You feel like they have bad intentions. You can, beyond all of those preferences in your life, you can rejoice because you have the same ultimate goal, to make much of Jesus. That doesn't happen anywhere else other than the local church. You can have a joy beyond a loss of unity over preferences, over a greater purpose to make Jesus known. See, I think a lot of us get stuck in our preferences. I think a lot of us look at our relationships and we want to agree across the board. We want people to like us. We want people to fully understand us. I do this even with my wife. As we have conflict with one another and she apologizes and says she's sorry, sometimes I'll say, no, 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 no. You don't have to say you're sorry. I just, I just really want you to not feel that way to begin with. <laughs> That's a bad move. Um, I said that last week. A lot of bad moves sometimes in my life uh, with my marriage. But I, I say, you know, I really don't say you're sorry. You, you don't need to say you're sorry. It sounds nice, right? Like, you don't need to say you're sorry, sweetie. I love you. Like, it's okay. You're forgiven already in Christ. Um, it sounds nice, right? But really what I, what I mean by that, and sometimes what I'll go on to say is, I don't want you to feel that way. Like, I can't believe that we would misunderstand each other to the extent that you would even say that, to the extent that you would even feel that. That's a lot of pressure to put on somebody. But how many times do we do that with one another? You think, I don't know if apology would fix it. Because my preference is that you would have done things a different way. Is that you would have never felt that way. If we really knew each other, we've been married for a long time, we've been friends for a long time, you've been my boss for a long time. If we really knew one another, you wouldn't have ever said that. We want our preferences to all line up across the board, if we're honest. Like, we don't like it. It makes us uncomfortable when people have different preferences than us. And just like Paul, we need to see beyond those preferences to a greater purpose, that if someone else knows Jesus, we have a, a commonality that goes way beyond any preference. 
that our purpose is still the same, that we can agree to disagree, that we can still love one another, we can still apologize to one another, we can still forgive one another because we have a greater purpose in Jesus Christ. That only happens in the local church. It's only possible to have joy beyond loss of unity in the local church. And I see this through our church and through our churches in this city. We started this church out of some unique circumstances. And by God's grace, it gave me and gave us a platform that most church plants don't have. I have met almost every pastor in our city. Um, I've met with a lot of guys. I've met with a lot of churches. I've been in a lot of rooms, even in the past just six months. And it's been amazing to see our joy over our common purpose in making much of Jesus. Like even in this area downtown, like even in churches that are in our vicinity that look pretty similar to us, like if you were to walk in there, it would look kind of similar to what we're doing now. We have different preferences, but it would look a little bit similar. There's different ways we would do things, but overall it would look a little bit similar. And I've met with these guys, two guys in particular, New Valley Church downtown and New City uh, church as well that are in our backyard essentially just a few miles up the road and I met with these guys we're just starting a church they've been going for a little bit one is, is a little bit smaller one is a little bit bigger and both of them we met and just said man our greater purpose is Jesus our greater purpose is to see Jesus made much of in this city in this community in this area how can we do that together how can we pray for one another? How can we celebrate for one another? When we moved into this space, both of those guys sent me emails and texts just congratulating us. We're like a couple miles down the road. That could be super awkward. But it's not. Because we're here for the same purpose. That even when we look similar and even when we look different, that we can celebrate one another. Because the goal is not our church. The goal is the church. Healthy churches, they want Jesus to be made much of anywhere through anyone. Insecure churches want Jesus to be made much of exclusively through their church. You see that difference? I want us to be a healthy church. I want you to get excited when we see other churches, other people meeting Jesus in our city, in this area, down the block. I want to be excited about that. I want them to be excited for us. I want us to partner together to make much of Jesus because he is our purpose. And we can have joy when we see all of life that way. Look at the third thing with me, verse 18. We see a loss of life. Paul says this, the second part of verse 18. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. Hallmark verse right here, 21. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. 
I want you to look at this text with fresh eyes. This is a familiar text for a lot of us. But verse 19, before we move on to the hallmark verse, verse 19, through your prayers and the help of the Spirit. This is a key point for a lot of us because a lot of times when we look at the Apostle Paul, we look at joy beyond loss, it doesn't seem real. It doesn't seem relatable. We think Paul was like a superhero. Like we have the Holy Spirit, but he had the Holy Spirit on steroids. You know, Paul had something different. He was, he was like a superhero. I can't relate to that. But you need to know, Paul says in this verse, I know that I need your prayers. I need the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Like, we need to pray for one another. We could have a theological conversation about how God works through prayer. We could debate prayer. We could read books about prayer. We could quote, quote verses about prayer. We need to pray We need to actually pray. Paul's not superhuman. This didn't come naturally to Paul. He doesn't wake up in a jail cell and just think, I'm so joyous, I'm so glad that I'm in prison. We took away my profession. They took away my freedom. They took away my preferences. I don't really know if I want these people preaching the gospel in the same way that they are. I'm facing potential death as we see later on. Paul doesn't wake up and just smile and giggle. That's not what happens. He's not superhuman. He has the same Holy Spirit that you do. And he says in this verse, before he says, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain, he says, I need you. I need your prayers. I need your prayers for my life that the Holy Spirit would move in my life in a powerful, powerful way. Listen, we need to pray for one another. If we're going to have joy beyond loss, We need to pray for one another. That's why we have time at the end of the service for you to pray. We want you to take advantage of that. We don't want you to think, well, I'll just go to lunch and just figure it out later. No, you need one another. Paul needed other people. He needed the Spirit to move in his life. You need that as well. Whatever loss you have experienced or will experience, you need other people praying for you to see life like this, to live life like this. It doesn't happen naturally. A few months ago, we did this night of prayer. We gathered together and prayed for all sorts of things personally for our church. One of the things we prayed for was this. One of the things we prayed for is this place to worship in. We took a tour of this facility a couple weeks before we moved in. And we walked around and we prayed over this place and over these seats that you're sitting in now. That God would move that God would bring people to fill these seats, to make Jesus known, to transform lives. And as we're doing that, someone just said, you know, it's funny, is we prayed for this. Like a couple months ago, we gathered together and we cried out to God and said, God, we don't know where we're going to meet. We don't know if we're ever going to have a morning location. And we prayed for this. And it was convicting because I literally, I forgot. I mean, I knew God ordained this and brought this about, but I didn't even see the connection that we literally prayed for this. And like I said, we could get into a theological conversation and talk about, well, how God really works through prayer and the purpose of prayer, or we could just not do that. And we could just celebrate that God ordained this place, that he brought this amazing place, a place that said no to churches multiple times before us, a place that has built-in seats and we don't have to bring a trailer Nobody was rolling out seats this morning. As a church planner, that is a dream come true in and of itself. 
we can just look back and see we prayed for that. And God moved. His spirit moved, and he brought this about. Isn't that amazing? Paul prays. Paul asks for prayer, for the spirit to move so that he can see life like this. It doesn't happen naturally. And I should encourage you this morning that if you're thinking this joy beyond loss is unattainable, it's not. We need to pray for it. We need to ask the Spirit to move in a mighty way so that we can see, verse 21, that to live is Christ, to die is gain. So we can see that. One author said for Paul that life and death were a dilemma of blessings in Christ. Life and death were a dilemma of blessings in Christ. That either one, we see these categories, either one was a blessing. And you look at it, look at why. In these verses, see why. There's these two categories. To live is what? Christ. To live is what? Fruitful labor. To live is progress. To live is for their joy in the faith. And then we see another category, to die. And we see to die is gain. To be with Christ that he gets to see Jesus face to face. You see, Jesus is the key to all of life. Jesus says in a couple times and a few times throughout Scripture, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. You're catching on. Jesus says, I come that you may have life. John 17, Jesus says, this is eternal life. That's so great. <laughs> to know God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus gives his life to give us life. Do you see that? All of life comes down to Jesus. He is the key to all of life and even eternal life, that it goes on forever, that we get to know God and know Jesus Christ, who he has sent. And we get to do that forever. That for the Christian, if you know Jesus, your life doesn't end at death. You don't have to be in fear of death. That death is sad, that loss of life is sad, that the potential of that is sad and scary, especially when we think about our loved ones, our kids, our family members, our friends. But it's not the end. That there's joy beyond even a loss of life if you know Jesus. This is what Paul is calling us to. This is what Paul is experiencing. This is what's available to you and I, even today. I don't care what loss you have experienced or think you will experience. This is what is available to you, and it all comes back to purpose. You see, many of us confuse our purpose for our profession, for our preference, for our pulse. Like if, if we're just alive, then we have purpose. No. Your ultimate purpose is to know God, to love God, to connect with God. And while we're here, to proclaim God to anyone that will listen. That's your purpose. It goes beyond any loss of freedom, any loss of unity, any loss of life. This is your purpose. This is my purpose. This is what we're called into. And Jesus defines that purpose. We don't need to create our own. Like God has a created intent for your life. We don't need to create our own. You see all the troubles with this with other people in life. You look at athletes. You look at Tom Brady. He's going to be here. Maybe he's here. Maybe he's here already. Um, Tom Brady, a couple years ago, 
He had three Super Bowl champions at the age of 30. He had a $60 million contract. He had all the fame he could ever want. On a 60 Minutes interview, they're recounting all these accolades, all these accomplishments that Tom Brady had. And listen to what he says. There's got to be more. Like, there's, there's got to be more. And the interviewer says, well, what do you think that is? What do you think the answer is? And he says, I don't know. I wish I knew. Three Super Bowls, $60 million contract, all the fame and celebrity that you could ever ask for at the age of 30. I'm 32. At the age of 30. And in an interview, he says, there's got to be more. What is that? I don't know. I don't know. I wish I had that answer. You see that in athletes when they create their, their own purpose, a purpose that's finite and not ultimate. You see it with money. You see people buy into this philosophy that whoever dies with the most toys wins. Like nobody would ever say that, but really that's what they're doing. They're accumulating toys and things in life. And because of that, every shift in the market, every change in their job, every performance review, their joy hangs in the balance. Because if they lose that, they lose their existence. They lose their very purpose, because they've made the finite ultimate. They've created their own purpose instead of God's created intent for their life. You see this in politics. When your guy, your party loses the election, all is lost, right? Like, all is lost. He didn't win. This policy didn't get approved. You need to know that whoever you vote for is finite, not ultimate. Whatever law you want passed is finite, not ultimate. It's not your created purpose. It's not the ultimate purpose in your life. Go out and vote. Get super zealous and vote and rally and post links on Facebook. (laughs) Become a lobbyist. I don't care. But just know that in all of those efforts, that whatever the outcome is, it's finite, not ultimate. That that's not the greater purpose. That God has a greater purpose for you than that. Listen, we read about it earlier in Philippians, this this verse that we all love to quote as well. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Listen, Jesus is the key to life. Jesus runs all of life. You want to tap into his purposes. You don't want to create your own. They will always fall short. They will always let you down. But there's a purpose in Jesus that goes beyond any loss you could ever experience. To know him, to love him forever, to make him known while we're on this earth. That is our ultimate purpose, greater than any finite purpose we could create. And you see it in Paul. As you look at Paul's life, as we look at this text, and we know he's not superhuman, right? Same Holy Spirit. Paul wants to spread the gospel. Paul, you want to do that? We're going to throw you in prison. Paul says, great, I'll do prison ministry. You can't hold me back. Paul says, I'm going to talk about other people and empower them and and train them up to share the gospel as well. And they say, well, we're going to slander you. We're going to try to take advantage of you while you're in prison. We're going to try to take your spot out of envy and rivalry with ill motives. And Paul says, well, are you going to talk about Jesus? Why you do that? Fantastic. 
Like, my ultimate purpose is not my fame, my reputation, your motives. My ultimate purpose is Jesus being proclaimed. They say, Paul, we're going to kill you. We're going to take your life. And Paul says, great, to die is gain. I get to see Jesus. And then they say, well, okay, we're not going to kill you. He says, fantastic, it's fruitful labor for me. I get to talk about Jesus. You see in the life of Paul a joy that goes beyond loss. That is available to you. There's a guy named John Wesley, a Christian missionary. He comes over to America on a boat. A huge storm hits that boat. And he looks around. Everybody's freaking out. And he begins to freak out. He's the chaplain of the boat. Not super encouraging. But he looks around and he sees this small group of Moravians. And they're calm, despite the storm. And reports say that, of this story, that they were humming and singing songs. As everybody else is freaking out, this huge storm, even the chaplain of the boat is wondering, what's going to happen? And John Wesley goes to this group of Moravians, and he says, what enables this? Like, what allows you to be so calm, to be so peaceful, to sing songs during a huge catastrophe. And they just asked him a question. It's beautiful. They asked the missionary, the chaplain of the boat, have you placed your faith in Jesus? Because if you had, you would know. You would know that you can have a joy beyond loss, even loss of life. And later, John Wesley realizes he's not a Christian, and he places his faith in Jesus Christ. And he goes on to fulfill God's purpose for his life. That's my hope for you. If you don't know Jesus, you can't have a joy beyond loss. You need to place your faith in Jesus. He will bring that stability. He will bring that calmness. He will bring that joy even when you lose a profession, when you lose freedom, when you lose your preference, when you lose your life. That's available to you through the personal work of Jesus. If you know Jesus already and you don't feel that joy, we need to cry out as Paul did and ask for prayer. We need to pray ourselves and ask God, God, I don't have that joy. In all this loss, I don't have it. Give me that joy. I need it. We need to ask other people. When we do post-service prayer, you need to come forward, explain your situation, ask questions, ask for prayer, ask the Spirit to change your heart to lead you to a place of repentance, to transform your life that you may have this kind of joy beyond any loss you could face, great or small. That's my hope for you. Let's take steps in that direction this morning. Let me pray as we do that. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you that it doesn't return void. God, I pray that looking at scripture would excite all of us in this room that we would not look at this and be numb to it, that we would not look at this and just go to lunch, that we would not look at this and think, it doesn't apply to my life, my life's too far down the road, that we would not look at this and think we're broken beyond repair, that we would look at this text, that we would look at your word and see it penetrate our hearts, penetrate our minds, penetrate all of our lives and transform us for your glory and our good. God, I pray for your spirit to move in this place. I pray that you would heal brokenness that comes from loss. 
God, I pray that as we look at the possibility of loss, that we would see with confidence that even if we lose other things, that we have an ultimate, a greater purpose in knowing Jesus Christ and loving him forever. God, we need your help. We don't say that in a trite way. We don't do that because we know we're supposed to. We desperately need your help this morning. We pray that your spirit would move even now as we respond, as we sing, as we give, as we take communion, that you would move, that you would help us to have a joy beyond loss. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.